Today, we're leaning further into the topic of the forward-facing technologies of AR, VR, and XR. Much of technology today is the Wild West, and if you are not knowledgeable, you'll be left behind. The MedTechsperts are joined by expert in the space, Adam Nevis, a solutions architect from Mindspring, a world leader in creating digital experiences that are driven by learning science and innovation technology to learn all you need to know to keep up with this cutting edge space. This episode of the MedTech Business Academy will cover the terminology, tools, and options that are available to you and your organization to set the foundation for exploring AR, VR, and Dexon. Well, good day, everybody. This is Skender Derty for another episode of the MedTechsperts MedTech Business Academy podcast. Really excited today because we've got a number of opportunities to explore, and there's one really that we're going to dive into very deep based on some discussions that I've had with people following a previous recording that we had. Uh, joining me today from the MedTechsperts are Barbara Strain, Tom Hickey, Ted Newell, and Scott Alexander, sponsored by who, Scott? Uh, the American pork industry made my sandwich today, so it was. We're going to give the <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Very important. Any other disclaimers? Anybody else? Cheese as well. Tillamook cheese made a made a showing uh, just before the recording as well. So. Not Vermont cheese. No, no, no. We got Tillamook. Oh. Okay. <laughs> All right. Good. Well, now we got our financial disclosures under wrap. We appreciate that. Um, so, uh, as I said at the beginning. Uh, we recorded a podcast a few weeks ago uh, that dove into the concept of AR, VR, and AI. And to many people, those are just more acronyms that are confusing, um, as there are so many in this industry. However, there is an actual meaning to those. It's augmented reality, virtual reality, and artificial intelligence. And we're going to include one more acronym to confuse everybody, but... Our thought process was in talking to some of the listeners that we should really bring on one of the experts in this space to, to delve a little bit deeper and showcase that this is something that could be of value to the med tech industry overall. So with that, we did invite Adam Navis on the call today. Adam is the project success manager. Is that Did I get that right? Yeah, so I'm a project success manager and a solutions architect, which is a very fancy title, which means... Hey, make sure that the problems that we say we're going to solve are actually getting solved. I love it. The cre already look at the creativity. The creativity <laughs> in the crowd just went up so much more just by the title. Uh, that's something we're lacking. Um, so with that, uh, Adam does work at Mindspring, which is one of the leading instructional design organizations in the United States, supporting everything that has to do with e-learning. But the beauty of e-learning is it's gone beyond just the dimension of what we all think about it in the context of today's nature, where it's a module that you go to on your laptop, on your desktop, whatever mobile device, you follow a few prompts, you watch a few videos and you answer a few questions. It's actually gone on to the next stage uh, and the next generation of technology. And that's what Adam's going to talk about today is how he has worked that within his customer base, which is industry agnostic, and how we might be able to derive some value for that in the med tech industry. So Adam, I'm going to give you a chance to kind of introduce yourself a little bit further and then uh, try to build off of the exciting intro I just gave you. 
Yeah, in the broadest possible sense, I consider myself a digital generalist. I mean, I have a, a wide curiosity towards different creative outlets and different tools that could be web-based, they could be downloadable, they could be a combination of softwares, but that's what led me to where I am right now, because I think right now the kind of leading edge is this augmented reality, virtual reality. It's kind of the Wild West. There's a lot going on as far as softwares and hardwares. Um, but what really excites me in this space currently is it's related to what you said about e-learning. But I would actually take it back even further and think about how we learned anything as children or how for most of human history we learned things we were very experiential learners right we put things as babies they put things in their mouths they hold things they you know we experience things and then we moved into and i'm i'm doing broad armchair anthropology here like uh, <laughs> broadly speaking so then we moved into an oral culture where we had a teacher a leader a parent who showed us what to do and how to do it. Then we, we, for a long, many thousand years, we rent, we, we were a written culture and text is an extremely efficient way of communicating knowledge, right? We can take it from place to place. Um, we can, it can last through time after someone has died, their, their, whatever they've written goes with them, uh, or it goes on after they, they've died. I'm sorry. Um, and but the problem with written text, which is extremely efficient, is it does require some level of translation. You take some an idea in your head, you write it down, then the person has to read that and hopefully replicate in their own head what they have, what you what your intention was. And then we moved into this digital world where we got to add images and we got to add videos and we even got like interactive with video games and um People were experiencing things in another level. And all those transitions, all those um, uh, ways in which we communicate, have it's it, there's a trajectory to it. And uh, the reason I'm, I'm saying this is because we're, we're not doing something that needs to be scary. We've, as, a hum, as human beings, we've been this, we've gone through these transitions in the past. And what excites me is that we're actually returning with AR and VR to a very instinctual, guttural even, way of learning and engaging with information. We can, um, it's not that we've abandoned those levels. It's not that we're saying AR and VR is going to replace a mentor who guides you through um, through the world. That's still valuable. I mean, the story I like to uh, tell people is if you've ever tried to change a the headlamp in your car, like a headlight, your headlight goes out and you think I should be able to do this, right? It's very, it's a simple thing. And nowadays, if you're like me, you go on, on YouTube and you're like, you type in the make and model and you think, oh, I'm going to find it. And then you, what you actually find is maybe a year or two earlier and you think, oh, this, this will work. <laughs> then you'll pop open your hood and you look at it and you're like, what, why is the bat? I have to take the whole car apart to get to this. <laughs> uh, so you can follow that. But as we get into AR and VR, so let me, if, if this is going to be, I always tell people, you're going to have to take some imaginative leaps because it's hard enough when you can see a video of this. Now we're on a podcast and I have to use language to try to explain. So imagine a world where you pop the, your, your headlight goes out, 
you pop open your trunk and you take out your phone. You open your app and you're, maybe it's from your manufacturer of your car. And you, you initiate the app and it scans your car and it recognizes what make and model of the car it is. And it says, oh, what do you need to do with this car? And a list of options come up. You say, I want to change the driver's side headlight. It identifies where you are by using the cameras and the LiDAR sensors. LiDAR is just the laser sensor in your in your phone. Uh, and then it will create 3D objects, arrows, step-by-step um, -step indicators of what you need to do to remove the old and put in the new. So what has what was something that might have started with an uncle showing you how to fix your car to the a printed user manual in your glove box is now, and then was maybe a digital YouTube thing, is going to be much more integrated. So when I talk about um, all of these things, before we get into like the terms, I just wanted to let people know, like, this is a technology that is not new. It is, I, the word evolutionary sounds too way too grand, but I do think there is a trajectory here to how people learn and interact. It is another tool a way to communicate information um, from one person or an expert to another person, um, a user. That, I, I hope that makes sense, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, so I know Skinner's a huge uh, Michael J. Fox fan, so I'll, I'll make a, this feels like a back to the future reference um, in that, uh, I mean, this, this is kind of how apprenticeships worked. Right. If you think about it, you mentioned sort of your uncle showing you. Mm -hmm. um, right. If you think about um, electricians or any of the trades, I mean, they have they have trade schools and they then they apprentice for years. And it's you standing next to my father-in-law, the electrician, and him pointing out this is what we do and how we do it, and then you do it. And frankly, med school is built that way too, right? See one, do one, teach one. And so it makes a lot of sense that you could use technology to make it much more immersive. Um, so I think it's, I think it's really cool. I mean, it's, I, I played around with the Oculus headset before and, mm -hmm. um, had a blast with that for uh, the VR stuff, but you can see how, particularly if you're thinking about surgical applications or you're thinking about, um, clinical treatment protocols or things like that, where the tactical aspects of that are really meaningful, like changing the headlamp mm -hmm. on your car, how actually having somebody walk you through it with video in real life would be immensely valuable. That's super neat. Yeah. So um, you mentioned the Oculus headset. So I think that's, we're going to, let's start talking about VR. Okay? okay. So when COVID hit, the Oculus <laughs> came out. Well, I mean, it'd been out for a little while, but the, the new one came out and it just, it, it changed the, the landscape because people were for 300 bucks, were able to have this in their house. So when we talk about VR, what we're talking about is virtual reality, which is a, you're blocking yourself out not entirely, you're still safe, but <laughs> visually and auditorially from the world. And you're, when you turn your head, you're able to see different things around you on different sides. You're able to do a, a 360 degree turn and see a world. You are fully immersed. Mm -hmm. And there are people who say, well, it's not a full world, but if you've ever done the climb, which is a mountain climbing game, which would seem like, oh, this is boring. Like you will be sweating. You you will have a physiological reaction. And when you just just go on YouTube and be like people falling or the there's a lot of people who wear headsets and like dive off into the TV and die, like throw <laughs> themselves on the ground because it's so real. 
and it's very funny to watch, but um, we want to avoid that, <laughs> that in medical. Disclaimer, that, disclaimer that is not funny. It's <laughs> <laughs> not, in, find it, not a view endorsed on YouTube. <laughs> exactly. Um, so one of the advantages of, of that, of VR, is when things are dangerous, when things are expensive, when things are very large, like if you want to try to experience the vastness of the solar system or the relation of the planets to into each other, when things are very small, like if you want to like interact on a molecular level, see how not just the little carbon chemistry diagrams we had to draw in, you know, sophomore in high school, but actually see how chemicals come together in a, like right in front of you in a world. Um, when things are far away, you might not be able to travel to the Sahara Desert, but you could put on a virtual headset and actually experience that. Um, or things that are complicated, like surgery. Um, you know, if you needed to um, experience how to do a surgery in virtual space and do it again and again and again, even though it doesn't exactly mim mimic the tactile feel, but you're getting some haptic feedback. Um, and haptic just means some kind of felt feedback. Um, you're still getting that experience. You're still feeling more and more comfortable in that space, not paying attention to what you don't need to pay attention to and learning to pay attention to those things that you do need to pay attention to. Um, so that's, that's VR. And I think probably most of your listeners will have some sense of that. They've, they've, they've either seen people do it or they have a, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of in the popular culture right now. Now, augmented re reality or AR is a little further removed and it's a little more complicated. It's the kind of thing that when you experience it, uh, it just seems to make sense. But as you try to describe it, that's where it gets complicated. Perhaps the most popular and common augmented reality experience people have is Pokemon Go. Are you are you guys familiar with Pokemon Go? It's kind of waned in popularity for now, but uh, people would go a around. Massive Pokemon Go Go guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so people would go around and collect these little Pokemon, these little creatures, and depending on where they were in the world, uh, the GPS in their phone would they could open up the app and they would see these little creatures that obviously weren't there, and they could collect them and trade <clears> them with <throat> friends. Now that application, not that direct. Um, application, but that experience of having an overlay, a digital overlay or an object or an arrow or an instruction um, has multitude of use cases. So one of the things that we really like is work instruction. So we, for our, some of our manufacturing clients, we will, we will take their workstation, whether it's a tool and die machine or some kind of press it, it it really doesn't matter they just need to take what was a paper document or a expert who is might be retiring and we can capture that step-by-step -step information about how best to do that procedure so they can either interact on a tablet or a phone or they can have what's a wearable which is a headset device there's a number of manufacturers who do these um you might remember a few years ago, they had Google Glass, which was more of a uh, a web portal than it was a wearable. So the HoloLens is a Microsoft project, Magic Leap, RealWear. These are all different manufacturers who basically have a glass um, panel or a lens that you see through. So you're not fully submerged in a virtual space. 
you are seeing the world all around you. And yet because of the technology and because of the cameras and sensing where things are in space, it is able to have another layer of reality that you're interacting with. The way I, I like to explain it is uh, if you have a uh, those sticky notes, post-it notes, and you walked around a room and you said, okay, step one, put, put it here. Step two, you'd put it in another space. Step three, you'd put it in another space. And you could make those post-it notes disappear and reappear when another person comes in to indicate what you, what you want them to do. That's augmented reality. And if we get really fun and really exciting, those aren't just post-it notes. Those could be a video. Those could be a 3D object. They could be a link to a Twitter feed. Anything that you could connect and build in that space, you can arrange it sequentially. So it starts with one thing, moves to another, or you could arrange it spatially. So when they're near a certain object or near a certain part of the room, a, an experience gets triggered. And the implications of this is very difficult. And I think this is one of the things that is most difficult for people who are trying to get into this space to just to get their brain around is the nonlinear way of interacting with things. We're, you know, we're very used to reading text from beginning to end, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. But some of these experiences uh, really help people what we call just in time. So if they're they're trying to, they're in a space, they have a question, that question is solved right there. And it's answered right in that space. So it's not just a linear training, but it can be a, a spatial training as well. I, I know I've been talking for a little while, so I want to give, give you a chance to ask questions or clarifications. Well, yeah, my first question, go ahead. I, I'm sorry, Barbara. I was just jumping in because... Um, on my podcast, MedTech Gurus, about two years ago, I had Dr. Raphael Grossman, who is widely recognized as the first surgeon to use Google Glass, and he's a futurist and a fascinating guy. And, you know, he's on the board of several companies that are doing uh, augmented reality, virtual reality. And I just wanted to ask you, Adam, because Dr. Grossman is talking about we're not far away from attending meetings as holographs you know, having a holographic image of ourselves projected to some conference where I might meet you, Adam, you know, representing your company as another holograph and we have an, you know, an exchange. And I wanted to get your take on that is if that's, you know, closer or how, or maybe how close we are to having that type of capability. Well, people are already doing that in virtual space. Mm -hmm. So there are virtual concerts that are being held. There are virtual um, yeah, communities that are existing, not just, it, it depends on why, you know, you, you almost have to think in a little different terms. What does it mean to be a hologram? And how would two holograms interact with each other? And where, what space would they be in, in which that interact interaction happens? Um, there is a lot of, uh, a lot of talk right now about how different softwares talk to each other, how different platforms will talk to each other. And there's common languages. Um, USD is a file type that you're going to hear about, um, which is a Pixar's, it's not proprietary, it's just a file type of how things get put together on a technological side. 
I, I think I'm getting a little deep on this, but it it's very interesting. I always say like if email was invented right now, it would blow our minds. I can have a, a Hotmail and you have a Google and I can I can send it across. What platform does that, right? Mm-hmm. But I think I think we are getting closer and closer. It, it, it's always it's never as soon as we think, but it's always sooner than we think as well. Um, to being able to uh, shape, we already shape. If you've been on any social media, we already shape the image of ourselves. So I don't think the technology is um, that far away from being able to do that. But um, yeah, I think there are being there are tools and there are they're coming out faster and faster and being more and more accessible to the masses. Are there any, and I know Barbara wants to get in here, but I just want to ask a quick follow-up. Are there any ethical challenges that you're seeing uh, with some of this in the terms of, you know, privacy uh, or any other aspects to ethics? And maybe that's your next podcast, maybe not today, <laughs> but it's just, it's just something that, you know, is, is kind of a, a potential red flag for some of this. So I think everything has an ethical aspect to it. Whenever you have uh, a, a new tool, like a hammer can destroy and a hammer can build, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think the the making sure that a lot of, especially with AI, that current social biases are not being reinforced um, through images that are generated or even the language we talk about things. One of the things that I think is very, very critical, um, and I I think this group will agree with me, is having, you know, how do you make a VR environment or how do you make augmented reality accessible to all people with all abilities? Mm -hmm. Um, I don't necessarily want to you know, if you have an avatar of yourself in virtual space and you are a wheelchair user, do you do you abandon that in virtual space? Do you get full control? Do you is that is that being included as an option? Do people who are hard of hearing, uh, do they have a lesser experience in the virtual? Are they being left behind? People who have uh, learning disabilities of any kind, um, and there are not. I would say I I know that there are going to be more and more, and I know. Um, Companies like Apple are committed to having this be a key component of their technology wherever they go. Um, but really, that's that's the big ethical concern on my heart, and I'm sure there are others as well that you probably know. Thank you. So my quick question was to sort of relate it back to MedTech mm-hmm. is – uh, where I worked in a hospital, we actually set up sort of a modern version of a cave environment in our imaging department. And radiology was using, I do believe it was AR, to actually better visualize uh, like uh Venus architecture and how they could get at it more effectively and things and really real time in procedures. Is that a, a an AR environment that um, we can relate to in med tech? I think, I think the, um, the visualization um, of anything is one of the strongest selling points. Um, of AR and VR, because 
we are so used to interacting with either books or screens, which are somewhat can mimic um, the ability to move around an object, whether it's data visualization or um, the visualization of, I mean, I, I have, I am by no means, um, you know, a, a medical expert, but like looking at MRIs and looking at depth that you have to kind of scroll through to fully see, um, I think there's going to be a lot of dimension being able to see um, things in three dimensions by moving around just like you would in normal space. So I think that is one of the the strongest um, ways that if anyone is thinking like, oh, how do I get how do I get started in this? How would this apply to to me? Thinking about how you want to move around an object to to really understand it is one of the best things you can do. Mm-hmm. Great. I, I've got a question. Um, so what about like a, a healthcare professional could be a nurse, tech, or doctor is walking into a patient's room in the hospital and they've got augmented reality glasses on so they can see the actual room and they can see the actual <laughs> patient. But then the minute they walk through that door, um, a heads up display comes up on the lens that tells them the uh, oxygenation of the patient, the blood pressure, their, their pulse their urine flow, maybe, you know, whatever is important to that particular patient. Would that be an example of augmented reality? Yes and no. Okay. So it would be a way of getting information. That's like kind of a just-in-time information. So they're using some kind of um, location sensor to know, hey, there's information that you need to have available at your fingertips in this space. Augmented reality really the the so I'm not saying it's not, but I'm saying the the full um, impact, the full power of augmented reality is matching something up with the lived reality uh, to some kind of large data set. So that could be a 3D CAD model um, where you could you could walk into a space and let's say you have a large instrument. And you'd say, hey, is this functioning properly? And you could you could match it up to maybe the preset settings, the default settings, and you could it could it could tell you, no, this this piece is missing. This this needs to be um fixed. Um and then you could initiate in that in that same moment, you could initiate a troubleshooting where you could say, Okay, how do I how do I identify what piece is needed? How do I order it? How do I find it? And then you could also, if you're getting even more complex, perhaps you have to, uh, you have a supply closet that uh, has this replacement part. It could put arrows on the floor that lead you to this supply cabinet to find the replacement, bring it back, and it could instruct you how to replace it. Hmm. So, so what, what if, to take my question further, so what if there's cameras on these glasses and they're looking at the patient and they're looking at a wound or a bed sore or some condition that they'd like some help with, maybe treating it, dressing it, doing whatever. Now they say, get me Dr. So-and-so on the line. He now is maybe a couple miles away, but he can see it through the glasses that the technician or the nurse is wearing. And then he could put an arrow in right where he's saying, see that little thing right there? You need to do something to it to make this patient better, you know, it needs this kind of dressing mm-hmm. or whatever. Would that be augmented reality? 
Um, that would, I mean, we're, 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 we're maybe splitting hairs here, okay. but that is more of a, like an internet of things where you're having connectivity between devices, but it's not necessarily, um, matching up, uh, adding to your, because of where you are, you, it's still, that's still being initiated by the user in that case. It's not being initiated by the environment. Okay. Um, but the arrow, the arrow on the screen overlaid on the screen, which does not exist in the actual environment, theoretically, that arrow would be, would constitute a dimension of AR. Yes. In that, in (laughs) you're correct. In that instance, the doctor, uh, or whomever who is kind of annotating in 3d space would be, would indicate yes, that. I, I will say when you're talking about wounds, uh, one of the things that's helpful to know right now is that when you're looking at soft things versus hard things, computers and cameras do really well with hard things. It, they don't do super well with soft things, fabrics, human skin. I know facial recognition is a big thing, but um, it's very hard, because, especially when they're moving to catch, we we could talk about I could talk about light and how light works for a long time, but um, just just so you know, so it's like if you're gonna try to say, oh, I want to be able to get a 3D, uh, you can scan like a wound or something, but really matching up a wound to another wound or a series of wounds, um, it's it's not impossible, but it's it's a bigger bigger lift. Yeah, it might depend on what the object is because <clears throat> one of the people I interviewed was one of the doctors from Stanford and they had worked on a um, using AI on a type of camera identification of skin cancers so that Mm -hmm. somebody could identify their skin cancer at home using their smartphone camera. The, the AI would figure out that, yeah, that looks like it's probably the shape of a skin cancer and colors. And granted you're right. Cameras can be funny, right? But they felt it was accurate enough that it would, advance the rate of the of the patient's treatment and visits to the correct people so they could they could be sort of accelerated treatment yeah i think that's a great use of you're you're not going to that's not going to be the totality of their treatment right but it's definitely going to be uh i think we're going to get more and more of that as medical costs increase and people are looking for ways of I don't want to say diagnosing themselves. I'm not here to give any medical advice <laughs> uh, whatsoever. Um, but that is really, um, yeah, we're already, I mean, if COVID has has taught us anything, it's to think creatively and to use technology in ways that maybe we were not necessarily comfortable with before. But I think more and more people are coming to expect that. They're coming to expect um, that their products and services are delivered with trainings that they can use when they want to use them, when they come back and they want to be able to fully experience them um, and and even adapt them if they're an end user and they they say, hey, you're a device manufacturer. Here's your, here, you know, they, they might provide a training, but they might say, well, in my particular case, I need to adapt this. And I think manufacturers especially are going to need to be able to um, adapt and customize those kind of things. And if it takes them a full cycle to 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 tailor that sale or that uh, device, it's it's going to slow things down and people are going to move on to a faster company. And Adam, I think that's the crux of what we want to examine today is that evolution to kind of come back to your word, um, the evolution of how some 
organizations, some industries have started to adopt this and taking it from a foreign concept uh, that just felt so far away into something that was more mainstream. And I know we're going to go over <clears throat> some you know, case studies in a, in a subsequent part of the discussion, but just for now, can you showcase in your history what some, in your experience, what are some industries that have taken this and have adopted it that maybe in a way that you didn't think was either going to be adopted or in an industry that was so reticent to look at anything progressive? Yeah, and I'll go into more depth on this, but one of the ones that really excites me is uh, anything logistical. So I'm going to describe a scenario and um, it, it, it will, there's a company who has a, a large warehouse supplier of, you know, pipes and fittings and other things like that. And it took, they they were hiring new employees, they were bringing them on board, and they had to fulfill orders. You know, they could be any number. Think of a large warehouse. Uh, so they had to take their clipboard and they had to walk to place one. They had to find a piece, cross-check it with the with the number, find, you know, a few more items, put them together, send out the order. So we were able to scan the entire warehouse, connect the database of their full inventory, and then create a, so they'd get that same list, put on a headset, and walk, it would lead them right to the, the place where the inventory was. They, it was able to look at, scan it, take it out of the inventory, put it in their cart so they know when they'd have to reorder. And they were able to change fulfill, order fulfillment from 15 minutes down to five. Now, mm -hmm. you extrapolate that out to, you know, you're, you've cut your time by a, down to a third of what it was. And you're fulfilling those orders again and again and again. And that seemed to that makes sense when you can when you can demonstrate that wow you invested a lot of money in this but it's going to cut your time down that is really exciting in an industry that really was like oh you'll never learn our full catalog it takes it takes a year to learn our full catalog of how you you know all the pieces fit together and you know a quarter inch versus a you know half inch pipe fitting um the other one that we we really i don't have the same kind of like hey this is um you know that that was that's one of the most dramatic ways in which uh, we've seen uh, a, a return on investment. The other is we were able to build out a step-by-step um, -step virtual training for um, people going through the steps of uh, applying PPE. You know, in a in they in before they went to a clean environment, and that is not a super complicated thing to do. We everyone knows. Okay, wash your hands, put on the hat, put on the booties and put on the, you know, zip yourself up. But the fact that we they asked new employees to go through this training and they did it several times, it it ingrains that thing in a way that you you're not you're not burning through PPE, you're not um and people were able to um just kind of have that experience before they even got on site, before they got into this place where a mistake uh could contaminate the the device they were working on. And I think I that's one of the most interesting applications of this <clears throat> that gets lost because so many, and we, we talked about this a little bit last time, is so many organizations try to think about the therapeutic or diagnostic benefit that this technology could provide, but it's in those training elements. And, and, and one of the things you just touched upon, it's a soft cost that I feel like so many med tech organizations lose out on is how many devices how many units do i have to go through 
to do actual training. And there is a hard cost, especially in an environment where every unit is so valuable today because you never know when you're going to get the next one from your supply chain. So from that dynamic, I think that's an interesting idea and concept for us to kind of really focus on in some element, because I don't think anybody ever thinks it. And I talk about it all the time. I ran a medical device company. I remember thinking, oh my God, we're going to have to do training with our reps. That's 30 trays that we're going to go through, 30 Mm -hmm. trays times X dollars of sales cost versus hard cost. And that was just for internal. Then when we were taken into Mm -hmm. the hospital, that was that many more units. And this is where this technology really starts to lend some true leverage to our industry is starting to think of those things that we just always assumed was necessary. But if you can have a tray, one tray, yet have 30 people essentially with an augmented reality component, look at that same tray, open it up, and without ever really touching the tray, the cost savings for that can be immense. All right. Anybody have any commentary to add to that? You know, if I can build on that, actually, I I love that. And, you know, I was thinking of one other thing when Adam was talking about the warehouse. And that's if you've ever sat in an OR and watched a circulator nurse try to find the catheter or the, you know, the cutting needle that the surgeon needs. And all of a sudden you, you they come back in huffing and puffing in a sweat going, I can't find it. Right. And you, everything has stopped. Right. Because right. we're waiting for it. You know, we've got a patient on the table under anesthesia. The OR clock is, you know, clicking yes. how many dollars per minute and everybody's trying to find this thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the other applications I was thinking about and just in terms of a pr- very practical a- application for it, you know, yeah. to, to be able to just find stuff. Right. The, the conversion process. Right. Like if you think about if you're I think back to my time at Medtronic, where we'd be converting surgical staplers from Ethicon. I mean, we had all these things, right? We had, we were flying reps in, we were having nurse Betty train on how to load a staple load. We were mm-hmm. helping people figure out where we're keeping it. Like there's all that stuff that just goes into it. It, just, it screams, you know, AR, VR, like support and that sort of thing. Well, um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't underestimate the value of capturing a uniform best training. We were talking with a uh, a water purifier manufacturer and they use, they have a lot of plumbers who kind of adapt and they might pull whatever piece and it might void their warranty. And they were very concerned. They were getting a lot of calls from people who'd be like, oh, we, well, you, you kind of voided your warranty in the way you fixed that, that water filter. So they wanted to know that the people who were working on those those devices were getting their information from the manufacturer, not from, you know, whoever, wherever they found it, whoever you trained them might happen to have their own. Oh, you got to do it the way Joe tells you how to do it. Or um, so they wanted to say, OK, here's the five points of failure. Here's where you're going to void your warranty. And we know that if you scan this QR code, you are getting the way to do this, the preferred manufacturer way to do that, not just, you know. In, in indiscriminate training. They were able to know that everybody who was working on this had the exact same standard training. And, and circulating back to Skender's <clears throat> point, you know, back in the day, I used to, I, I sold infusion pumps and I converted a major university hospital, right? And I think I did 56 in-service trainings in the period of 24 hours with about two hours of sleep. 
and the quality between in-service number one to in-service number 56 <laughs> was markedly different. I can just flat yeah, tell yeah. you, right? So, I mean, there's a big thing there about that consistency, right? And that whole training piece to know that it's the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think smart manufacturers will pick up on this medical technology discussion because with travelers and uh, reduced workforce, being able to train people effectively, either real just in time, like you said, and things are are really helpful to the quality and safety of that care. Yeah, excellent. So one thing I'm going to do here is because out of the interest for our audience, I think we've got content that we want to parlay into another episode. Um, and rather than ask everybody kind of final thoughts for today, as kind of a hook, I, I want to see what are your questions that you want to have answered on behalf of our audience for the next episode? What are some of those things? Let's go round Robin, Barbara. So I had thought about this previously, but I really, you sort of answered it, but I really want to know what is really sort of the sort of like an algorithm. When should a medical technology company, just because this is mostly our audience should go down that pathway, AI, AR, VR, et cetera, when should we use it versus it's a really cool, sexy thing. I should include it because the vernacular is great and stuff, but what would be truly, and then they can ask the provider organization, would this be valuable to you and understand how it would work and things. Anyway. That's great, perfect. So, Adam, I hope you're taking mental notes. Here. I am taking actual notes. Nice. Even better. <laughs> Tom? Um, I, well, kind of circulating back to the ethics question, you know, I've seen a lot of robotic surgeries. And one of the things I've always had with virtual reality, augmented reality, is everybody's got an expectation that the clinician is going to be in the room with them. But with some of this, there's not the requirement that the, the surgeon, the, uh, the clinician, whatever the specialty might be, is actually right there. What happens if they're in a different state? What happens if they're in a different country, right? Mm-hmm. So that capability is coming you know, fast. So that, that's just uh, something that's been on my mind um, uh, in thinking about the future. Great. Ted? Yeah, I think I'd like, um, in this, we go to the case study kind of question. And I know we've already hinted at the fact that we will cover those in the next, uh, the next podcast episode. But I'd like to see a couple of different case studies that where you've applied, um, AR, or VR to a situation, uh, to a med tech oriented situation and, and the different places it could be applied for a med tech company. So is it, become part of the product is that where the where it goes or is it part of uh, the training sort of the out of the box services that the company provides to support their product and maybe there's two other things i'm not thinking of great and scott um yeah i, I mean i just i'm gonna echo what everybody else says i'm just gonna use a couple minutes to say it my way um i think i think getting into the use cases of how does this actually apply like i like technology i think it's cool uh, but I also am pretty practical. And as we think about doing something, like, doing something like this, if I'm running a med tech company, what are the three to five applications that like, I, I got to say, hey, if I'm doing conversions, right, big, big hospital wide or, you know, facility wide uh, conversions, like 
that's a good application. If I'm thinking about sales training, that's an application. I think being able to take it from uh, sort of how it's like the, the theory behind it towards like, this is specifically what you need to think about would be immensely valuable to me. Yeah, good. Uh, and my my parting hook is going to be around the dimension of cost efficiency. Um, you know, as a business owner, I'm always looking at the ROI on every investment, every expenditure, and, you know, in an industry right now that is so people dependent and so labor oriented, if I make an investment in a technology such as this, which I'm assuming probably has a decent startup cost, what is the efficiencies I can gain from that? Because I assume they're, they're great. I want to actually see some of the numbers. So, Adam, we've got you on the spot here. Um, we're going to get you with the hook. Hopefully in the next episode, you're going to address those questions pretty tacitly. Well, this has been a pleasure. I feel like you guys have responded. The the you've the gauntlet has been thrown down and I'll make sure I come prepared, ready to uh, address all of those and anything else that comes up in the next episode. Perfect. Well, again, Adam, thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Med experts, thank you for your time as always. To the audience, please stay tuned. We'll have a lot more specific information in the next podcast. And uh, hopefully everyone will see these as more than acronyms in the future. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Adam. Today we learned the foundations, but concepts mean nothing if you don't understand the impact, KPIs, and implementation of the technology you choose. Next time on the MedTech Business Academy podcast, we will dive into some real-life examples and answer the questions posed by the MedTechsperts, as Adam will join us again for part two of today's discussion, case studies, implementing and executing with AR, VR, and XR. We look forward to having you there, and thank you for joining us today.